Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. My guest this week built his own electric car out of a passion for all things sustainable. He doesn't own that car anymore, but it did spark an interest in EVs that led to the Electric Vehicle Podcast, one of the highest rating shows on the podcast New Zealand family of shows. I asked Theo Gibson what motivates him and just how soon will we be driving or maybe flying EVs? Thanks for joining me on this climate business, Theo. (laughs) It's okay. What a privilege. I'm really curious about you building an electric car. You converted a car. What what sort of car is it? It was a it was a 1990 Toyota Sierra. So it was a concept car done by Toyota when Toyota made fun cars. And and the thing about it was it had wing doors like a DeLorean. And they only imported them into the country. Uh, there's actually um, one in a in a car museum down in New Zealand. Uh, that didn't quite um, meet New Zealand safety standards at the time, so they never sold them here. You could only get them imported. But Do you still own this thing? No, I sold it. I sold. I had a child and um, sold it. Prior, yeah, just just before having kids will do that to you. But yeah. so tell us about this conversion because I think lots of people are really curious about yeah. how to convert an ice car, you yeah. know, a dirty old fossil fuel car yeah. into an electric car. Well, you know, I mean, it was a learning experience for me, but I um, basically, the gist of it is you take a car that's not rusting and falling apart and you pull out the the petrol motor and then traditionally for the most easiest of conversions, you would get a, an electric motor, whether it's DC or AC, and you would mount it to the gearbox You'd put a controller in there, which is like a giant dimmer switch, which controls the amount of power going to the um, electric motor. And then you put a battery pack in there, and that's it. Right. No change to the running gear or the diff or no, any of that sort no, of stuff? No, you can. It depends how complex you want to go. Hmm. But um, generally, this most straight, straightforward um, uh, conversion is basically just an adapter plate to the gearbox. What was the experience like in the end? You know, Was it a good drive? Were you pleased with the result? Yeah, look, I, I loved it. It took me three years, and I had no idea if I'd be able to finish it or anything. Um, so it was kind of a crazy journey. But by the time I finished... Um, I loved it. You know, it was it was it was the equivalent of the original internal combustion engine in terms of performance, and I got a range of roughly about a hundred k's on a charge. So it's kind of Nissan Leaf Generation One territory, right? But you know, kind of uh, two years before you could get a Nissan Leaf. Um, Do you own an EV now? I've got a plug-in hybrid now, which people have kind of chastised me for because <laughs> I've kind of gone backwards. But um, uh, it's a plug, you know, it's a plug-in hybrid electric yeah. Outlander, and um, I love it because it's a great family car. And yeah, but people are curious about EVs because they can. I, I guess they sense it's the future. Mm. But the uptake has been so slow and taken so long. Why is that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it all comes down to price at the end of the day and availability of the vehicles. I mean, we don't. We only have. Second-hand Nissan Leafs, all those Nissan Leafs, you, up until now, you've seen on the road are imports. You know, Nissan came to New Zealand with the, the Nissan Leaf. We always laugh about it in the kind of community is they came and they said, oh, we're going to sell these, and they never sold any. Or they sold maybe one or two at $60,000 back in 2000. These were brand, brand, brand new. new. Yeah. And then they stopped selling them. 
So Nissan in New Zealand hasn't sold electric cars and they were the only kind of offering for a long time and we didn't have Tesla and we didn't really have anything other right. than imports. This is even prior to the Prius? So the Prius... Yeah, the Prius has been around forever, mm. um, and we've always had Priuses. Um, but you know, um, they are as uh, <laughs> Toyota calls them a self-charging hybrid, which is um, basically a, a petrol motor with uh, that gets charged up. By, yeah, uh, you know, um, charges. I thought you the battery. might say that the answer was more a conspiracy than that. That, <laughs> <laughs> that actually, there's been a concerted effort to keep EVs out of New Zealand. I don't think there has been. I mean. I think uh, the I think the thing that's just held us back is basically just where we are in the world and the the pipeline of getting those cars to us. I mean, mm. if you look at what's out there in Europe and 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 the fact that a lot of the cars we get is through Australia, and Australia haven't really adopted EVs. You know, it's just the 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 we call it, the supply hasn't been there. Right, but the imperative is there, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I interviewed uh, a while ago um, Paul Wilton, who yeah. uh, is uh, talking about the need to electrify the transport network after agriculture and energy. It is the next biggest contributor to emissions. Totally, it seems sort of obvious, you know, on mm. paper, and and when you talk about it, so yeah, why wouldn't we electrify the buses? The trains, the the heavy transport, yeah. uh, if if nothing else, um, what's holding us back? Well, I mean, we're actually doing a lot of progress in that, and I mean, I think Auckland Transport has made said that they're looking at doing the whole fleet in the future, and that's been in the last year. I think these are buses. These are buses. Yeah. So, I mean, um, if you look at the early um, electric vehicle buses that are on the road, there's a there's a couple in Auckland and a couple in Wellington. The bodies of the coaches of the buses are built here, and then we get drivetrains made by Chinese companies, and we install those in our buses. So uh -huh. now we've got the technology to do it, and people have got processes. You know, I think it's going to go a lot quicker, but it's still a big process. You know, I mean, yeah, I think. It's going to happen slowly, but charging is always a big thing with buses, right? You've got to get that model right. I mean, the range is never going to be huge in mm -hmm. a bus, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and they've got uh, examples of the like the, the double decker in Wellington where they use telegraph charging to charge to fast charge uh -huh. the bus. Yeah, you know, so you've got to get that model right. So they've got to look at their bus routes and go, what can we replace with electric, and how we're going to do that? And I think that's it's a it's a tricky process to do, you know. In, Changing your 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 your, your processes. It's yeah. a systemic change, isn't yeah, it? So it requires is. a kind of a step up. Yeah. So that requires infrastructure and yeah. probably policy changes and yeah. and so on. Have you been an advocate for EVs as as uh, you know in a sort of political sense, or is it more a, a no, kind of a passion for you? Yeah, not really. Not not in the 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 way that um, that businesses have been. Like you know, I haven't had any kind of. Um, uh, monetary kind of connections with it. Um, uh, I've been passionate and a voice for EVs, but never in the political sense. Uh -huh. You know, I think, to me, it's always just totally made sense. <laughs> and I always, I've always felt that we were going to get there. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. I, that I just thought it was just so logical <laughs> that even though everyone, there's been so much pushback from so many different um, sources, we were going to get there eventually. And I think we are, you know, I think when we saw the automakers start switching to making electric vehicles, that was the sign that we were looking for that, you know, it's going to happen. Right. Your show is hugely popular, isn't it? It's, uh, it's going okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, 
you know, what was the motivation behind the show and, and you know, where are you finding the, the talent? Is there that much of a community, of EV community in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge number of people. I mean, um, and it's, it's only getting bigger. I mean, when I did my conversion, I kind of did a documentary about it. That was my goal. And then the conversion just took over and it just got totally crazy. And I was building a car at the end of the day, you know, so the the, the documentary took a back seat. So um, after my son was born and I had a bit more time, I was like, I really want to get engaged with the community again. And that's where it kind of started. And a lot of the early voices in the EV community are still very passionate about EVs mm. and they're still doing stuff. And now we're seeing a lot more businesses rolling out a whole manner of things. Yeah. I mean, there's so much now. I mean... Keeping up with the news used to be easy when we first started the documentary. Now I'm just spoiled for choice. Like, it's really hard to actually know who to talk to. I mean, um, you know, I, my, one of my passions is aviation. And I've always, you know, always really wanted to um, fly, learn how to fly. Yeah. And um, and uh, now you, the, we've got the first electric plane in New Zealand, which is crazy. This you know? is the WISC? Uh, no, this is a trainer aircraft in Christchurch. Uh-huh. So they just arrived in the country just prior to lockdown. And, um, yeah, it's a trainer aircraft, so you can fly on fully electric uh, um, for 45 minutes and learn how to fly. Is it a New Zealand um, brand, or like no, a New it's, Zealand invention? No, it's not a New Zealand invention. It's available um, throughout, throughout the world. I, I can't remember. I think it was Israeli built. Okay. You have to listen to the podcast. Right, well, I'm going to ask you three yeah. really basic questions yes. about EVs. That, you know, you, you and your... EV community will no doubt find very annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I'm going to ask the dumb questions, yeah. right? So so the three, and they're probably the questions you get the most, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do with the battery of an EV when, when it's done? Well, done, it's not that simple. A battery isn't done with an EV. I mean, when a, when a, when a car gets to a stage where you've got reduced range... You know, your your car might have uh, 150 k's, and in 10 years' time, it may only have 100 or 80 k's worth of range. So that that battery is still really great and really really useful. So the logical thing, and that's what lots of businesses are looking at doing, is taking that out, plugging it into your home. Then you've got battery storage for your solar array, or um, plugging it into um, grid storage. Or there's lots of uses for that uh-huh. battery, battery beyond driving so it around. So there's a sort of secondary market for, totally. for batteries. And I, I think, you know, if I had lots of money, I'd probably start looking at doing battery recycling because in about five to ten years' time, everyone's going to be needing to recycle those old grid batteries. Fantastic, yeah. Well, you heard it, heard it here first. Yeah. All right, my, my second <laughs> question, Theo, is um, there's some criticism of batteries um, for the use of metals like cobalt, yeah. uh, which is mined, I believe, in a really unsustainable way, and um, and they still rely on heavy metals, yes. uh, which you know horribly toxic, yeah. uh, probably rare, um, possibly end up in landfill. Yeah. Um, are we replacing one kind of dirty fuel for another? I don't think so. I think I think we're kind of in this uh, this middle step. You know, they're they're a lot better in the fact that they're not. You know, we're we're reducing our emission, our emissions. You know, um, the amount of cobalt and heavy metals in the batteries is reducing all the time. I mean, Tesla was a big uh, factor in that. They've kind of doing building a lot cleaner batteries, and um, because of this kind of mass adoption of EVs, you're seeing the change in battery chemistry. So everyone's working on the solid state battery now. Oh, yeah. And I think we're probably 
five years away from seeing some massive advancements in battery technology mm-hmm. where we're not using those materials. I mean, I, I, there is a, there is awareness about how bad badly um, the whole cobalt mining is is around the world, and there are places that are more ethically, you know, um, ethically can yeah. source the cobalt. So yeah, I think it's a work in progress, but I think it's going to move a lot quicker than the oil industry ever did. That's for sure. Um, a third question is hydrogen. Yes. Hydrogen is still viewed very fondly by many people because <laughs> yeah. it's abundant, uh, it's so clean. The hydrogen fuel cell technology yeah. has, is really advanced, right? Um, what, Incredibly what, expensive, yes. Uh, why, why is it expensive? Well, because everyone thinks it's hydrogen's readily available, but it's not because you have to use a huge amount of electricity to generate that hydrogen. Um, and then you've so got it doesn't to, really exist in a kind of natural really state. It doesn't really exist. We have to make it and then we've got to put it in our hydrogen refueling station. So the the cost... It's two for one in every water molecule. Yeah. Surely... You, <laughs> you, you think. You think, right? But yeah. I mean... They, they, yeah, it's just currently the way they're harvesting it, it's, you know, it's a really expensive proposition. So you have to use a huge amount of energy to effectively extract hydrogen yep. from whatever source you might get it from, I yep. don't know, like urea or yep. water. Yeah. And your point is the cost of that energy kind of offsets any benefit that you might have down the line. Yeah, I mean, there are there are a few use cases for hydrogen which are really good, like in um, heavy industry, like with boats and ferries, uh, you know, uh, container ships and, and trucks where you need that long haul range, um, where you could install a hydrogen refueling station at a port or somewhere like destination charges um, where you could refuel those. But for, you know, if we were to do that to the entire vehicle fleet of New Zealand, that would be a massive expense, much more than putting in some EV charges around the um, right. around New Zealand. So it might, you think, might have a use case that's limited to certain sort of scenarios, yeah, such as I heavy transport. Yeah, I think it's got a place. I, I don't think it's, but I don't think it's going to be for mass market. I really don't. I think batteries are moving at such a pace and, uh, you know, we're already up to a 400 or a 500 uh, kilometre battery and you can charge that in like 20 minutes. That's pretty good, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we haven't had to, you know, completely reinvent, well, reinvent, you know, put new infrastructure in to support it. It's very simple to put in a fast charger. There's a sense in which EVs are connected into a much bigger, we sort of talked before about mm. s- systemic change. Mm. Are we now going to see, like car batteries could also become effectively batteries for the grid? Well, that's what right? I love about EVs. You know, it's it's they've got so many possibilities with them, you know. I mean, uh, my current car... Um, can plug into your home and power your home. You know, the, the technologies are actually already there. We just haven't kind of adopted it into our homes yet, you know. I mean... Um, so you think a, a, an EV fleet could be part of the solution for storage? Yeah, absolutely. For not just vehicles, but also other uses of electricity, homes, absolutely. businesses. I mean, you know, Auckland's just had a massive water shortage, you know. I mean, if you if you could really, if we could see some focus around really making our homes a sustainable home, we could have, you know, we could collect our own rainwater, we could have solar panels on our roof, we could have our, our, our battery from our vehicle charging our home when we need it and vice versa, you know, we've got a really good kind of um, 
sustainable model for our, our powering our homes would be amazing. And I think EVs are part of that. Yeah. So. When you think about the future, does that, you know, you think about what ex- what exciting things might happen, both mm. with the technology but also the systematic kind of change. What, mm. what does the future look like in, for you? Well, I think we're just probably going to get to a stage where cars are such an expensive purchase, right, for any home. And it's been such a part of our mindset, I guess, for so many years that we spend so much money on buying this vehicle. But I think in the future, we might, you know, a car might be seen as almost an extension of our home. And it's this autonomous thing. It's going to probably be autonomous and we're going to get in our car and it's going to drive us to where we need to go. And and it's also, but it's going to be part of our home. It's going to be this component of our home whereby when it's not in use, it's powering our home or it's, you know, there's, there's this exchange of energy between the services and it's kind of, yeah. I'm sort of curious about this uh, idea of the subscription model for cars. So yes. you, you may not even end up owning a car, yeah. right? You, yeah. It might be just one of those services that you subscribe to. Yeah. And you can upgrade the uh, one one model I, I uh, saw that I quite liked was from Mercedes. Yeah. Uh, not not particularly EV, but yeah. um, you could subscribe to Mercedes as a, effectively a club. Yeah. And when you go skiing, you might take a. Um, you know, a high-end SUV. Yeah. Uh, when you're buzzing around town, you might just take a little kind of shopping trolley. Yeah. Um, if you're taking some guests, you might get a seven-seater. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really sort of interested in that model. And Very know, do you cool, think it, it has any validity, or is oh, it just no, a high-end kind of no? Rent, I think it does. Or? I mean, I think you know the ability to do that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Being able to dial your autonomous EV that's got seven seats, drive to your door to pick everyone up, and go on your on your your ski trip or whatever. I yeah. think that's where we're probably going with it. And 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 I really like the idea. And I mean, you know, Mercury does their EV drive that they're rolling out here in New Zealand. What is it? It's an EV subscription service. Oh. So they can they can you can rent an EV. There you go. I thought it was my idea. No, no, no. It's very common in Europe. So they've had it. We're just a bit slow here in New Zealand. But I think EV subscription is actually a wonderful way of getting more people in EVs, right? To get them over the hurdles of or the mental block that Mm. the EV doesn't have enough range for me. So I always thought if you could do an EV subscription model where it's like half the price of whatever anyone's charging now. So it's yeah. like cost you 20 bucks a week or something and you're you're charging at home. You know, make it dirt cheap. Yeah. Who's going to turn that down and then they're going to get in the cars and they're going to drive them for a month and go, I oh, actually, I don't need 700Ks worth of range in my well, most car. most of us don't, do we? No. The other thing I saw about electric Vehicles, which really I, I kind of got me thinking about just how simple the the mechanism was. So like, simple, and it was like a tenfold decrease in the number of moving parts. Yeah, I, I can't remember if that's yeah. the number, but it, that was in that sort of scale. Yeah, and it did make me think about you know this sort of the world in some ways is becoming simpler. If I, if I think about my smartphone, mm. I used to have ten devices that are yeah. now in one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you think about the simplicity of an electric vehicle. There's there's actually fewer atoms. Yes. And fewer things to go wrong. Totally. And this move to solid state that you're yeah. talking about yeah. might actually be part of that trend. Totally. Of, of sort of having to use less atoms to achieve more. And there's there's a bigger metaphor there of more from less. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I was reading about Uber the other day and, and Airbnb too. You know, you know they don't own a single bed. Yeah. Well, neither Uber nor Airbnb, but, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but you get the point. Yeah. So they've just rearranged 
the atoms yeah. in the in the world through information. Yes. And delivered effectively the same service. Yeah. So I wonder whether EVs is almost like a metaphor for actually we're getting simpler and simpler at one level with our yeah. mechanical, you know, use of use of physical things. Yeah, no, we absolutely are. I think I mean that's what I've always loved about EVs is, you know, when I built my EV it basically just ran for three years. I didn't replace tires. I didn't do anything. I, you know, I was looking at a, a replacement cost of a $50 bearing in about five years' time, and that was it. Wow. And, yeah, they're just so reliable and so simple, and I love that. I mean, who who wants a car that breaks down all the time? I mean, well, there's, I life's suppose too it's, short. <laughs> there's always going to be some petrol heads, aren't yeah. there? Well, yeah, yeah, there are. And I mean, just like in the same way that there's lots of people who love converting classic cars to electric. That's a new thing. To keep these fam- gorgeous-looking old mm. antique cars on the road, maybe down the line, we are going to have to convert them to electric to keep them existing and to keep, make them you know, yeah. usable on the road. That's quite a nice option. Oh, I was reading um, some thoughts about New Zealand being 100% renewable mm. and it's electricity and it's sort of it was Rod Drury mm. and Stephen Tyndall talking about the potential for New Zealand to be 100% yeah. electric. At one level it's kind of very sexy and you know makes a nice story but yeah. does it change anything? You know does it actually give New Zealand an advantage to be 100% renewable and it's and it's electric supply? I think it's how we do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I think I think it's a wonderful thing to, to try and achieve, but obviously we've got to look at what our goals are around getting there and what we're going to do with it when we get there because yeah. if it doesn't make our lives any better, um, <laughs> you know, if it doesn't change anything for us, what's the point? And also the, the cost of, say, for instance, if it was hydro, you know, yeah. the, the cost of another dam, yeah. another dam you know, yeah. it's been environmentally regarded yeah. as kind of like not a, not an acceptable yeah. investment yeah. In investment just because the trade-off is too great. Mm. So that made us think I was talking with a bunch of guys about, well, do we need then a big battery? Yeah. Like there's one in, the, this one in South Australia, right, that was built by Tesla. Tesla. As a potential for, I don't, you know, where would you put something like that? Would you put it in Pukekohe or Waikato yeah, 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 or something yeah, yeah. that's close to the big centres? Yeah. But, and tell us about, do you know about the capacity of those things and, you know? Not, not really. I haven't, I did a podcast on it a while ago, but I mean, um, or, or, you know, from, from memory, they've just been hugely effective. And, you know, they've really um, taken their ability to have instant um, um, power when you need it to, to offset the, you know, to keep the curve flat in yeah. terms of um, supply and demand. It's been hugely effective for Australia. Effectively I think they're looking of, at a new one. I think they've already... It's sort of a, effectively replacing Huntley, isn't it? Yeah. As a, for yeah. the peak yeah. Um, yeah. supply. Uh, the other thing I saw, which I really liked, was a uh, a company in Australia that farms tomatoes in yeah. hothouses in yeah. South Australia, and takes seawater, desalinates it, yeah. using solar and wind power. Nice, and then grows the tomatoes hydroponically. Wow! And because it's in the desert in hothouses, yeah. and they know exactly the cost of desalinating the water, they know exactly the cost of the um, running the facility and yeah. the capital costs and so on, yeah. they were able to guarantee to coal supermarket for yeah. 10 years what the price of tomatoes would be. Wow. So you completely remove the seasonal variation. Yeah, right. And, of course, they were clever in that they priced their tomatoes 
you know, ten percent less than the average. Yeah. For a uh, you know an open air tomato grower. Yeah. And supermarkets like it. You know, suddenly wow. you got a guaranteed price, which is effectively like a ten year hedge. Yeah. On tomatoes. And it just it's kind of struck me that, you know, this is the power of battery technology. It it suddenly takes energy yeah. and reliance on seasonal, you know, water, air, which we, we really rely on yeah. in New Zealand, and actually can start eliminating that out of our planning and, and costs and start yes. leveling this stuff out. And you, yeah. you think about the power of that to, I don't know, for manufacturing or for… Totally. Horticulture, yeah. or um, you know, even transport. Well, that's the thing. It's exactly the same for transport. Eh? You know that <laughs> your transport to work or whatever is going to be the set price for the next three years or five years, however long you have that vehicle. Mm. Mm. It's a huge. It's hugely empowering, eh? Yeah, I think so. And I, th- I think also about the potential then for reducing emissions and, mm. and eliminating coal, eliminating petrol and diesel, yeah. uh, particularly out of our fleet. And, uh, and as Paul um, Winton has pointed out, you know, that, that is the third biggest contributor to New Zealand's emissions profile. And if we want to meet these Paris Accords, mm. which we've signed up for and we want to achieve, yeah. actually the biggest and fastest and kind of lowest hanging fruit uh, is to attack the vehicle fleet. Um, because a- agriculture is a little bit complicated. <laughs> you know, we've got a lot of cows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to stop farting and burping. <laughs> Very soon, yeah, 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 totally. unless there's some sort of breakthrough in, yeah. you know, genetics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other area that's complicated is, is as we've just talked about, is energy. You know, yeah. like, like flattening that curves. And, and also accounting for climate change. I mean, you know, we're seeing some strange changes in our weather patterns. So yeah. if we're relying on wind, wind at a certain time or sun at a certain time, it's not that constant. At yeah, the it isn't that constant. It no. isn't that constant. But you know, we're we're blessed in New Zealand with hydro, obviously, and yes. then there's this fantastic geothermal resource yeah. um, of, you know, literally is bubbling out of the ground, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, my, you know, I did a show quite recently about extracting uh, lithium from geothermal liquid, uh-huh. which is fascinating. You know, you know, being able to actually have a bit of a, a lithium uh, extraction in New Zealand but may be game-changer for us in terms of batteries. Well, who knew? I, didn't, I never yeah. knew that about... Yeah. So that just comes up from... In, yeah, with they, water. they separate it out the from steam. geothermal liquid and then they put it, pump it back in minus the lithium, basically. Handy. Yeah, yeah. So then that gives us an ability to make some batteries. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. What else are you up to, Theo? You're, you're, I know that you're into audio books. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I originally uh, um, trained as a sound engineer many, many years ago, and New Zealand uh, has kind of been a bit behind the game with audio books. And uh, when the iPhone first came out in 2006, I bought it to listen to podcasts and audio books. That's how early I was into these you kind are of an things. Early adopter. Yeah, you're totally very early adopter. And Audible was just starting, and uh, yeah, so I've been working on a business to make audiobooks, and uh, we're just trying to do as much New Zealand content as possible, really. So we've got a store, and yeah. Fantastic. What's it called? It's called Audiobooks New Zealand. Uh, Let's not get too cute. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I thought I'd just be really plain about it. So yeah, we're doing some good stuff. It's great fun. The point of that, I suppose, is you're able to produce material that's just not available on other platforms such as Audible. Yeah. Anyone who's written a book or who who listens to audiobook knows how important it is to match the right voice to the right book. Yeah. And, um, And often... 
you know, just by countries, you might listen to a book that is written by a New Zealand author that's narrated by an American. It just doesn't quite gel for you. So we're trying to put some New Zealand voices to New Zealand content. I listened to uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice with a very American twang. It just (laughs) did not sound right to me, you know? no. No, it's very, it's it's fascinating actually. Like, you know, we've we've occasionally started a book and got about a chapter in and gone, no, not the right voice, we'll find another one, you know. So you know quite early on when you're so listening. So this is a bit of a boon for the New Zealand acting community, presumably, yeah. if, they, if you can pull this off, the, yeah. there's some regular gigs there. Yeah, well, I mean, this, we've got some great voices in New Zealand, you know, and um, uh, especially the arts scene has had, had a pretty big hit with COVID. You know, there, I know lots of my... Whole families in the arts. So um, uh, they, I've had, uh, my brother had a show get cancelled and he's out of work. And, you know, there's just a lot of lot of people hurting quite badly. Lots of yeah. venues being shut down because they don't have um, shows coming through. So yeah. whatever we can do to help is good. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so that's up and running now. People can yep. buy it and yep. download yep. and subscribe. Audiobooks.nz.co.nz is us. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's something else to listen to in your car. Yeah, <laughs> Or as you cycle commuting, as I yeah. often do, but yeah. and, and sort of half listening to podcasts <laughs> and half an ear out for someone who's going to kill me. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I think we're done. Yeah, I think we're done. I feel exhausted. <laughs> nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.